Morning. Morning. Everyone hear me all right? Good, good. Um, my name's Brian. For those of you who don't know me, I'm married to the wonderful Jen, um, my much better half. Um, we've been in this church about 13 years. We first came down here from Nottingham. Um, we visited, we got our car locked in the car park, and we've never left. Um, <laughs> since then, we've managed to acquire three wonderful children who are always sweetness and light. Um, and many wonderful friends as well. Um, two, three months ago, I was having a chat with Kate uh, and just about work stuff, and I was saying, I'm feeling a bit frustrated at the moment. I don't really feel like I'm growing very much at work. And lo and behold, two or three weeks later, she sent me an email saying, would you like to preach during Advent? So be very careful what you, uh, what you say to Kate. No, not really. No. Um, so we're continuing the broader theme of justice that we've been looking at this term. Um, and all throughout this series of Advent, we're looking at the coming of Jesus and how Advent and how that relates to justice, which was kicked off in wonderful style last week by Kim, and now this week you've got me. So what does Advent and the coming of Jesus mean for me in relation to justice? Well, to start with, I want to focus on the season of Advent. And for me, Advent is a reminder of one of the really strong themes of the Vineyard Church, which is this time that we live in right now, that we refer to as the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Advent is derived from the Latin word adventus. I've been told every good sermon has to have some sort of ancient language in it somewhere. So. Um, but adventus means coming. Generally, we tend to think of it as the time when we remember Jesus' first coming and the lead up to the birth of Christ. However, traditionally in the church, it's also the time when we think about and we look forward to his second coming. And it's this period that we live in, this time between the two comings of Jesus. This is the time that we describe as the now and the not yet of the kingdom. When Jesus came to earth the first time, died, was crucified, and rose again, he ushered in the now bit of the kingdom. In Mark 9, verse 1, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. What he's referring to here is his death and resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. With the Holy Spirit, God's kingdom came to earth to live in us and to enable us as followers of Jesus to bring his kingdom now, here on earth, in partnership with him. I have this uh, WhatsApp group I'm part of with some old friends um, who, from all over the world. They're my two best men and chief usher. Um, and we have a lot of banter on there and all, all the rest of it. Um, we're in touch about family life and we send out prayer requests and I said, guys, I'm... I'm preaching, pray for me. Um, and, uh, and Rob came back and he said, oh, do you know what? I've been getting really excited at the moment about the fact that we've been studying the heroes of the Old Testament. Um, and, you know, all these people, um, Rahab, Moses, Abraham, they didn't have what we have now. They were living in the time before that coming. They were living in the time before the Holy Spirit. And it was a great reminder to me of the exciting time we live in as Christians right now. This time when God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's allowed us to have direct relationship with him. To hear him speak. To pray for the sick and see them healed. To bring hope to the hopeless. 
We're able to call on the name of Jesus and see prayers answered. In John 14, verse 12 to 14, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is the now bit of the kingdom. This gift we've been given of the Holy Spirit and the gift of being able to call on the name of Jesus and do what Jesus did. As followers of Jesus, we get to bring God's kingdom now, to bring his light, his goodness, his healing, his words, his love and encouragement to those in the world around us. And through that, we bring his kingdom now. But clearly, we live in a world which is not the complete fulfillment of God's kingdom. Last week, we looked at Revelation 21, verse 2 to 4, which gives us that picture of what the kingdom of God will look like when he comes again. Which says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now coming amongst his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's the not yet part. That's what the second coming looks like. Where there'll be no more death, no more sorrow or crying or pain. That is the fulfillment of God's kingdom. That's what we have to look forward to when he comes again. So Advent for me is essentially this really strong reminder of the fact that we live in this transitory time. This time when God's kingdom is partly here among us and yet clearly not the full embodiment of his internal kingdom he has planned for us. But the really exciting part about this is that as followers of Jesus, God calls us to be his hands and feet in this transitory time. We're his representatives and he calls us to be bringers of his kingdom now. What an amazing privilege. So where does justice come into all of this? Well, I think it's pretty clear when we look throughout the Bible that justice is right at the heart of God's intention for the world. I have to be honest, when I was asked to do this talk, I was happy that I understood the broad concept of justice and bringing justice, but if someone had asked me to define it, I would have struggled. So I went to our friend Google and searched and found this definition, which I thought I'd share in case anyone else found it helpful. Um, so social justice is the view that everyone deserves equal economic, political, and social rights and opportunities. If we want to understand God's original plan for the world, one place we can look is how he originally made it. In the Garden of Eden, God provided for all the needs of Adam and Eve. They had no possessions as they had no need or want for anything. There was no greed, no competition, no hierarchy, just them in communion with God. That was God's heart for the world. That was his vision of how he wanted the world to be a world of equality where there was no sorrow or suffering or pain, just relationship with him. But as we all know, that lasted pretty briefly, and ever since the fall, we've had a world where greed has entered, where men and women have fought wars, 
where there's rivalry, there's us and them, a world where people are often trying to get one over others or exploit them for their own gain, where equal rights and opportunities have been far from the minds of many and are a long way from our current reality. So we get this sense of God's heart for the world at the beginning of creation. It had none of the brokenness that has been in our world ever since the fall. And throughout the Bible, we can see God's true heart for how he wants the world to be being revealed time and again. In Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 4, God says this to Isaiah. He says, shout with the voice of the trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you didn't even notice it. I tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. Then in verse 6 to 10, it says, No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here, he will reply quickly. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. I think in these verses you can kind of see God tearing his hair out a bit, isn't he? He's going, you just don't get it. You don't seem to get me. You're doing all this stuff to try and please me, but it's not what I really care about. You can almost feel God's frustration here at the Jews. His people don't understand him, what he's all about, what he really wants for the world. So he goes on to tell them, share your food with the hungry. Give clothes to those who need them. Remove the yoke of oppression. In essence, live with justice and mercy at the heart of everything you do. This gives us such a clear picture of where God's heart lies. There are numerous verses throughout the Bible in the Old and New Testament that reflect this heart of God, that talk about looking after the poor and the widows, the oppressed and the aliens among us. It's clear that this sense of equality, the sense of looking after those in need, the sense of bringing justice is absolutely core to God's heart and his desires for the world. So I conclude from that that we live in a time where God calls us to partner with him in bringing his kingdom now and to partner with him in fulfilling his heart for, this, for his kingdom. And my notes have gone blank. It's exciting. Just give me a second. 
Should have checked that, shouldn't I, before I came out. Right, I've got the last page. Just give me a second. Probably, there we go. <laughs> uh, right, where were we? So we can clear that we live in Tunnel. Good thing is, in many ways, we live in a time where there's been quite a bit of progress on justice. It's on the public and political agenda. There's a concern for equal rights among different genders, ethnic backgrounds, wealth demographics. There's a concern to give greater voice to minorities and to promote equality. Justice is a topic of public discussion. And there are a lot of people working on bringing it about. Yet we still live in a time of great inequality. And where there is much we can get involved with to bring God's kingdom right now, if we feel that's what he's calling us to do. I looked up some statistics just to share and put things into context of where we are as a global society and within the UK. And just highlight a few things. It's not a comprehensive list. But some interesting stats. So the world's billionaires, who are approximately 2,000 of them, have more cumulative wealth than 4.6 billion people that make up 60% of the world's population. One of every five children in the world will not be allowed to go to school still. 20% more girls than boys are denied a right to an education globally. Men own 50% more of the world's wealth than women. The world's 22 richest men have more wealth than all the women on the African continent put together. Every year, 100 million people are forced into extreme poverty, poverty because of healthcare costs. It's estimated that there are 20 to 30 million slaves across the world today. In Britain in 2019, 78% of white British people of working age were employed compared with 66% of people from other combined ethnic groups. In 2020, the proportion of senior roles in the private sector held by employees from black, Asian, and ethnic minority backgrounds was 10.3%, yet in the most recent census, this group made up 20% of the population. Women hold 29% of senior management positions in the world in 2020. Between 2018 and 2019, black men in Britain were three times more likely to be arrested than white men. These are just some of the injustices that we see in the world and the inequalities that go against the heart of God and his desires for the world. Despite ever-growing public awareness, we still live in a world where discrimination and unfairness are present every day, where people are overlooked or oppressed or taken advantage of, where those who are different, whether it be because of race, ethnicity, religion, gender, sexual orientation, are so often not being treated with the equality and given equal opportunity. Now, there's a danger that we can look at statistics like that and feel a looming sense of guilt because we compare our lives to some of those reference points and feel how privileged we are and feel bad that we're not doing enough. But I want to emphasize that that's not the heart of God either. He would not have us feel guilt or shame or obligation. That's not the gracious God we know. What he would love is that we just continue to seek his heart daily to draw near to him daily and to just look up and be aware of what's going on around us and seek his heart for what, if anything, he would have us to do to bring justice 
and mercy to the world we find ourselves in. I have to say, I'm incredibly proud to be part of this church because it's a church that brings justice in so many ways every single day. There are many of you who work for organizations whose very mission is to tackle the injustices of the world. Organizations like Tear Fund, Christian Aid, the Trussell Trust, development consultancies focused on bringing economic growth to the world's poorest, very well known, like Tetra Tech. There are some of you running podcasts to give voice and experience to young people who otherwise wouldn't be heard. There are some of you working for the NHS, bringing healthcare to all who need it. Equally, there are those who regularly give support to those organizations to provide the finance to enable them to do what they do in the world. Many of you regularly donate or give your time to food banks. There are those of you who are looking after elderly and vulnerable and lonely family, friends, or neighbors. There are those of you making sure their kids include and have playdates with children who often get excluded because they have disability or are from different backgrounds. There are those helping out single parents who are struggling. There are the initiatives at the Yard, Food Bank, Grow Baby, joining the Welcome Churches Network to welcome refugees. Everywhere I look in this church, there are examples of people delivering God's heart of justice and bringing his kingdom now. And it's a privilege to be a part of it. Perhaps, however, there are a few like me who've in recent times shrunk, shrunk back from some of the things that we used to do. I have to confess, I think COVID has been a really interesting time where, yes, there's an element where I made sure all of my friends, family, immediate neighbors were okay. But then the world around me shrank. And actually, my concern became, what's going to happen to my business? How am I going to make sure my kids are looked after? How am I going to make sure that we're all okay? And I think my, my horizon, my perspective has shrunk a little bit. And so I think COVID has had this impact just partly as a function of spending less time amongst other people outside of my normal, immediate circle. And it's an easy thing to get used to. But I think the result is that I've lost some of the awareness that I used to have more of, of the circumstances of others in the wider world who are different to me, who aren't my immediate friends or neighbors. So during Advent, as we look at justice as a church, I'm just spending some time seeking God's heart. I'm just looking around me again a bit and asking him to show me where should I be looking, where he might want me to get involved in bringing the kingdom now in delivering justice and redemption. With that in mind, I thought I'd share a few practical application ideas. Got another phantom page. <laughs> of the sort of things that we can do. One of the things I need to do is repair my printer, clearly. Um, so, the first thing we can do is to pray. If God puts something on your heart, the, the extraordinary thing about God that I still find amazing is the fact that he asks us to partner with him in prayer. He can achieve anything, but he says, no, if you want something done, you need to pray for it. That's something we can do over the season of Advent. If God puts an issue on your heart of injustice, why not just pray for it? The next thing we can do is we can give. You could select an organization that's tackling issues of justice and choose to give to them. 
was having a chat with Ruth Koch the other day for any parents out there who said that her parents used to give her and her sister some money to choose to give to an organization at Christmas, as well as presents, obviously. Um, and I thought, what a great idea to sort of get your kids thinking beyond their immediate selves and thinking about where they might like to support the injustices, tackling the injustices in the world. You could give to a food bank. Or perhaps you could give to one of the numerous Christmas present appeals for disadvantaged children. You could give clothes, toys, and other children's items to Grow Baby in the church, or directly to those you know in the community who have need. And the third thing that we could do is we can act. Could invite a lonely neighbor over, perhaps someone who gets overlooked because they don't quite fit in our normal kind of social demographics. Maybe they're older than us, maybe they've got a disability of some kind. Maybe they're from a different background. You could volunteer for Wednesday Food Bank at the yard. You could stand up or make the case for someone at work who you feel is being overlooked. You could look out at the school gate to help other parents who may be struggling economically or time-wise to meet the needs of their family and draw alongside them. You could get involved with the Welcome Churches Network the church has become a part of to welcome refugees and asylum seekers. You could write to your local council about homelessness. You could write to your MP about our response to the refugee crisis and the migrants uh, that are trying to cross the channel. These are just a few ideas. I've got a much more comprehensive list. My mother-in-law, is a, um, she's an absolute warrior for social justice, and she sent me a list of ideas, and I thought, if I put that up there, everyone will be so intimidated that we'll go away thinking, oh, goodness. But if you want to know more, let me know. The important thing in doing anything, as Kim said last week, as I said earlier, is that it all comes out of first seeking the Lord. Over Advent, as we continue to explore as a church this theme of justice and how it relates to the coming of Jesus, I encourage us all to just really draw near to God and ask him to open our hearts to what, if anything, he would have us do in this whole realm of justice. For many, this will just be to hear his voice of encouragement saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Keep doing what you're doing because you're bringing justice every day. So let's just listen to the Lord during Advent. Let's just keep our eyes open and ask how he might be seeking for us to partner with him to bring the justice of his kingdom now. Amen. Amen.